Welcome back to Ambition and Grit with Dave Leninger. In today's episode, Dave shares how Remax survived its first two tumultuous decades of business. He reveals a never-before-shared story about the trouble he faced with one of his early competitors. He also explains how your business can stay one step ahead of the competition. Let's tune in. Remax was a change agent to the entire industry. We changed the compensation concepts of how real estate agents were paid. Instead of just taking a commission split on whatever they did, they actually acted as an office of doctors, lawyers, architects that shared the expenses of running the business, but kept the vast majority of the, the commission for themselves. It was like being business for yourself, but not by yourself. And it was cost effective because you were sharing office space and so on with multiple other people. And so we really were a, a paradigm shift for the industry. At first, it was much hated. Dave and his team knew that their concept wasn't being well received by the industry. But the resistance to their compensation concept was even more fierce than they had imagined it would be. In the early days of the company, our competitors did not like our change in the compensation. They had the feeling that we were just rent a desk. In reality, no, we split commissions differently. We still provided the same services conventional companies did. We had training, we had sales meetings, we did the tours of our listings, we had international relocation, whatever. In 1973, we came up with an advertising theme of out in front. And we tried to change our logo every two or three years. And this one showed us putting a sign sold in the front of a house. And so we were stating we're out in front. Century 21 had some rather poor officers, managers, if you will. And they decided that we were claiming we were number one in real estate sales. That wasn't the claim at all. They sued seven small REMAX brokers in seven outlying states and said they were claiming to be number one. We went to those lawsuits and told the judge in the local cases, it really should be a fight between C21 and REMAX headquarters, and we'd like to be party to this suit. The judge said yes. We did win all of those lawsuits. But that was just the beginning of the fight for REMAX. It was one thing to not be welcomed by the industry, but another to be dealing with ongoing adversarial litigation. However, Dave isn't one to back down from a fight. C-21 then sued us. And that started a paperwork blizzard. Both sides demanded all kinds of evidence from each other. And there was 14 million pages of discovery that came in on every single real estate transaction. And it was seven semis, and almost none of them were ever looked at. It ended up going to trial in Santa Ana, California, which was the of Century 21. The trial took over six months, and I actually sat in the trial as a defendant for six solid months. We called 
hundreds of witnesses on both sides. And you never know if I lost the company or not. Dave had weathered difficult storms before the oil embargo, recession, and numerous financial struggles. But this was a big, expensive fight, and one the REMAX team had to win to stay in business. We went out, and the jury went into the deliberating room. Fifteen minutes later, the court called us back in, and the court said, the jury's come in, you have to come back to court. We go back, the judge says, what are you here for? And they said, Your Honor, we have a question. And he said, okay. And he says, REMAX is the dependent. That means that Century 21 sued REMAX. He says, that is correct. Can we give REMAX punitive damages for what this major company and MetLife tried to do to them? And the judge looked at him and said, you are the jury. Well, immediately, the opposing counsel comes running over, we want to settle, we want to settle. And I explained to the court in certain terms, we've been here six months, let's hear what the jury has to say. And the result was, REMAX won the case overwhelmingly. The thing that was fascinating was, all the attorneys wanted to meet with the jurors, and the jurors told the court, we never want to talk to an attorney the rest of our life but we would like to talk to Mr. Lineker. So I went back to the jury and uh, I was really, I was broken up. I was exhausted. It had been a five-year fight. Yeah, one of the damning things that uh, came out of the trial is that uh, C-21 was owned by MetLife and the judge allowed in the minutes of a MetLife Board of Directors meeting that said that REMAX's total profitability was around $200,000 a year and that they could bankrupt their biggest competitor with legal peace. And once the jury saw that and they realized, I've been sitting here for six months because MetLife and C21 thought they could bankrupt REMAX with legal fees, I think that convinced them that what was going on. Dave's early battles as an industry disruptor and target for competition taught him numerous lessons about how to manage his mindset and perspective on competitors. My mindset when I started Remax was wrong. I was very cooperative as a real estate agent. We saw each other's listings and show each other's properties and we're all on the board together and go to board meetings. But the industry was so against the Remax commission concept that literally most owners of real estate offices were trying to put us out of business instead of we're just one of hundreds of other offices. And so being kind of bullied up on, uh, we kind of pushed back. And that was okay. But eventually, things calmed down. REMAX became the accepted model in the industry. All of a sudden, I became an icon instead of an outcast. Dave and the REMAX team had to pay a hefty price to change the way real estate commissions were done. They were the first to put forth the idea in an industry reluctant to change. Pioneers are the ones with the arrows in their back. Not having a competitor is an advantage in many ways, but it's also a disadvantage because if you're the only one doing something, 
people say, why isn't anybody else? If this is such a great deal, why isn't everybody doing it? You have to be able to market your product or service as it's a unique concept. And unique is a good word. If you don't have a competitor, you are unique. You'll get them sooner or later if you succeed. In the natural evolution of a business, competition is inevitable. But as a savvy business owner, you can learn things from your competitors to help improve your product or service. My assumption is within your industry, you're probably somewhat of an expert if you're going to be building a business. The beautiful part of technology, especially with search engines, is it's so easy to gather competitive intelligence on all of your competition. At uh, Remax, we have a periodic report that comes out about monthly where we analyze in depth the strengths and weaknesses of a particular competitor. We find those strengths and weaknesses by talking to agents that have left them and joined us, by magazine articles, newspaper articles, by looking at their franchise documents, by looking at their financial statements and that type of thing. So gathering of competitive intelligence, ethically and legally, of publicly available information is a great way to stay abreast with what your competitors' strengths and weaknesses are so that you can baseline and improve your progress. Some business advisors recommend ignoring your competition so that you can stay focused. While this may seem like a good idea to avoid distraction, there are some downsides to never analyzing how you can improve. It's never distracting to compare yourself to another business. When you try to achieve quality, you have to have a baseline somehow to see how you're doing. The best way to do that is look at who are your very highest quality competitors that you can research. And today, Google, you can find out everything about everything. And what you need to do is say, okay, here are the five competitors, really the quality that we would like to be. That's our benchmark. We want to achieve their standards of quality in all the same areas that they excel at. That way, you have to measure yourself to see how you measure up. And then you have to improve. Most people think that you improve in leaps and bounds. That's not true. The only way you get steady improvement is very, very small steps. Look at a hundred things that you can do better and do each one 1% 1 better instead of one 100% better. And so there's a concept in Japan called Kaizen, and it's actually originated in America. And the Kaizen concept was created by a management consultant by the name of Deming. And when World War II ended, we had literally bombed all the factories in Japan and Germany and so on into oblivion. And so realizing we planted the seeds of war for World War II when we won World War I, turned our back on the, the other people who came back home, and that sowed the destructive things that happened for World War II. So the Marshall Plan came up that we would loan money, lend money, and would help those 
countries build back their industrial base. And Deming started teaching this principle of constant improvement of 1% at a time. When I was a child, say in 1950, if you got a trinket of some kind, it was always stamped made in Japan. By the 1960s, they were kicking our butts in appliances, televisions, automobiles, because they started all over with brand new factories and we were still building our, our cars in the same factories that existed before World War II. And so this whole concept of continuous small steps is the ultimate device to beat your competition. Small steps forward lead to big advantages down the road. Observing what your competition is doing well or poorly can give you a strategic advantage on where to focus your efforts. When I started the company, I was not much of a business person. I was a very good salesman and I could train. The rest of it, I had to hire and supplement. So as we move forward, the one thing we did right was we talked to the sales agents. They were the best in the industry and that we found that we could learn a lot from them. We would often sit with the salespeople and say, what'd you like best at the company you used to work for? What did you dislike the most? What do you like the best about Remax? What do you dislike the most? If you were leading the company, where would you lead it? How would you change it? If you had advice to give to me, because realistically, I was younger than all the managers I was hiring, and that they were more experienced in business methods. And so this being open to suggestion and, and sometimes criticism and not taking offense at it, but stating we all have the same goal. We all want to achieve success. What can we do to make this company better? So instead of the ivory tower thinking all the brilliant ideas come from the ivory tower, in our company, virtually all the good ideas came from the field. Part of what has made Remax successful is its ability to outlast the competition. Dave and his leadership team were wise to glean insight from those working in the field over the years. Receiving feedback from your team can help you stay adaptable and one step ahead of your competition. The thing that's made Remax successful is our people are so good, they're adaptable. And many times in our career with Remax, 50 years now, you know, we weathered nine recessions, been through nine or 10 different presidencies. The market's been turned upside down several times. We had the oil embargoes one and two, and you had the savings and loan crisis where about 60% of the SNLs went out of business, flooding the entire industry with hundreds of thousands of foreclosures. You had the crash of the financial industry, 2008. And then you had the myriad of changes, such as the internet, buyer agency, etc. The smarter that your sales force is, the more quickly they can adapt. Darwin is widely stating that the strongest survive. That's not what he said. He said, the species that is most adaptable survives. And so... Adaptability in a rapidly changing business environment is probably 
about the most important key to your success. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. To find more episodes of the show and learn more about Dave and his story of ambition and grit, visit ambitionandgrit.com. And if you love the show, be sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, remember, everything in life worth having takes a little ambition and grit. <laughs>